yeah, just give me a little heart attack. And <laughs> well, they got to keep they got to keep people on their toes. They do. They don't want you being complacent because that's how people get electrocuted when you get complacent. Hands off that dial. Business is about to get a whole lot nerdier. You're tuned in to Founder Quest. So did y'all go trick or treating? Uh, yeah, we did. We went to a neighborhood with some friends of ours and it was like a you know, good suburban trick-or-treating neighborhood. Everyone, most of the houses all, were all participating. So yeah, it was the kids had a, had a blast. Oh, great. We were a family of bats. So I wasn't the Batman. I was just a, just a, You're just, bat, a bat. just a bat. That's okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with just a bat. <laughs> we did the neighborhood thing too. And this was Ida's first year of really understanding what was going on and not being just terrified of strangers. So she was just all over this. Like she was like, we are going to go get more candy. Mom and dad, you stay right here. You leave me alone and let me do this myself. I'm going to go knock on their door and say trick or treat. And yeah, and she's not, she's not even four yet. So it was super cute. I can't even imagine when she gets to be like 13, she's just going to be, be like, you stand over here, dad, you park a mile away from school and I'll walk. She's going to, she's going to be choosing colleges like across the country or something or, or like yeah, I mean, she likes us nearby, but she just doesn't, she just wanted to do it herself. She's very big on that. Yeah, Tatum was doing, she was going up to that doors by herself too. And um, and I'm pretty sure I saw her like hit houses multiple times. Like, like she'd go up, come back to the street. And then like, I think I saw her like go back up to the same house. That's so funny. Yeah, so now I get to like, I ate so much candy last night that this morning, I literally feel like hungover or something. Like I, my brain isn't working. I'm just exhausted. And th th that's how you know you're getting old, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, we did the same thing. Today, we're going to be discussing... What are, what are we going to be discussing? We're going to be discussing like compliance, GDPR, SOC 2, all those big things. Yeah, all that fun stuff. So where should we get started? on? Does anybody want to give us sort of an intro? Um, this isn't really my forte. <laughs> So talking about compliance, you know, we uh, were a small company, right? And I think a lot of times people in our position, entrepreneurs in our position kind of ignore the whole compliance issue because they're just, you know, too small to handle that. And like, oh, I don't have a compliance department because it's just me, right? And I think we've, we spent most of our existence kind of in the same boat, like, well, we'll just ignore that and we'll just whistle and move along our way. But really came to a head with GDPR because we had customers who are international and who themselves had to deal with it. And so we had to deal with it because they had to deal with it. Uh, so I think that's the reason why we really felt like we had to get up to speed on what all this compliance stuff means and uh, couldn't just ignore it, you know, put our hand, head in the sand. So uh, what do we mean when we say compliance? Like what, what are we talking about? Yeah, really, you know, all the compliance regimes are about generally speaking, like security, like good security practices, making sure that uh, you are, you know, operating your business in a way that protects the data that, with which you're entrusted, right? And, and GDPR was very much about personal data and making sure that companies treat that responsibly, uh, that it's not going out to, you know, everybody and their brother, that you're not doing things with it that uh, your customers wouldn't agree with you doing. And so for them, it was about you, you want to be sure that you're not sharing this information willingly and unwillingly. So either through marketing partnerships or through breaches that would be basically a breach of trust with your customer, right? Or your employee, like they have a special case for HR data, right? So, you know, if you're employed by a company, 
they have your social security number and they might have other, you know, information about you and your address, your maybe some health insurance information, whatever. You don't necessarily want that kind of information going out to, you know, everybody and their brother, right? So basically GDPR came about and and compliance more generally is all about like doing what you're supposed to do, <laughs> being ethical with the data that you have in, in your possession. So like if you're a company in the European Union or you're selling to people in the EU, like you are sort of legally required to follow GDPR, this sort of list of rules, right? Right. And if you're a company in the EU and you have to comply with this regulation, you also need to make sure that your suppliers comply with this regulation. And that's where it involves us, right? Because we're not in the EU, but we have customers there. The other sort of compliance regimes, like what is it like SOC 2 and... I don't know. There's, I think HIPAA is sort of in that same boat. Like all these are like either there's a law somewhere that says that, you know, certain people have to follow these or big companies have in their policy that they, you know, only do business with people who follow these. And they're, they're kind of like viral, right? A lot of these, because like if a big company only does business with a company that follows, say, SOC 2, that means like, they have to get certifications from all the vendors they use, you know, and then those vendors have to get certifications from all the vendors they use saying that they are compliant to some degree or, or, or whatever. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. This, this avoids a scenario where you can, you know, be ignorant of what's happening with the data once it leaves your control. Right. So if I'm uh, processing data for my customers and I hand my, that data off to like an email vendor or whatever, I can't just say, oh, well, you know, I don't know what they're doing with it, but I'm fine, right? Now, you, you have to be able to say, oh, nope, my email vendor is also, you know, behaving responsibly with this data that I'm giving them. Yeah, so that's how we got introduced to it. You're saying as a developer, then, I would not, like, I can't use a public S3 bucket as my database? <laughs> would, would that be <laughs> a bad idea? against okay. doing that. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, you can, but you have to disclose it. Oh, right. <laughs> right. Okay. That's where the compliance comes in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And more recently, like, uh, I think they've, they've done a pretty good job of locking down the S3 thing. Like the uh, AWS has added more controls around making it harder to actually accidentally expose your S3 bucket. But um, uh, lately in the past few months, the, the new thing has been open Elasticsearch instances where they're just hanging out on the internet, no restrictions, you know, no password required, just hop on in there and query all the data you want. That's interesting. And, uh, yeah, there've yeah. been some, some relatively big breaches on, on, on that. Is that, from an older version or is it newer versions? Really? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. It's just because, yeah. you know, people stand up and, and the yeah. you think they would have learned, yeah. learned something from Redis bit way back when, you know, when right. Redis, Redis had the same problem, basically just yep. like unprotected Redis instances. That's why I love like how Amazon does the VPC thing and, and they have this option for Elasticsearch specifically their service that allows you to restrict access to it, to your VPC. Right. So, it's a private network. No one's getting into there. There is no public IP address that is listening to you. So that uh, makes it a lot easier to uh, handle these kind of security issues. After GDPR, like we, we dealt with that and it wasn't too painful, actually. I think for a long time, we're like, oh, it's going to be so horrible. And that we, was mostly me saying that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it really helped to get some good third-party help. Like we had some consultants help us. We had a good legal team help us. There's a, a company here in Seattle that specializes in uh, compliance issues. 
and they gave us some great advice and walked us through the process. Basically, what it came down to is like we were already doing, you know, good practices for security, but we had to formalize it a bit. You know, we had to make sure that our terms of service had the right, you know, verbiage in there and that we were disclosing who our vendors were. And of course, we had to go through that whole chain of trust thing too, where we had to go to our vendors and get their uh, GDPR attestations. And we had to come up with an information security policy, which that, that legal team helped us write, which gives us basically a framework for how we run things. So this, you know, we say things like, well, we have our hard drives encrypted, or we have SSH access to our servers rather than, you know, it's wide open, you know, things like that. But but that information security policy like documents them and says, yes, these, these are the things that we do. And, and uh, we, we certify that basically. It sounds like there's sort of two aspects to this, right? There's a technical requirements and then there's these sort of documentation and sort of paperwork requirements. Is that yeah. fair? Mm-hmm. So what, I mean, I know we're already doing a lot of those sort of technical stuff, but if you were doing a new app, like what were, would be some of the, like what would be the main technical requirements that you would be sort of paying attention to when it comes to making sure that your app is GDPR compliant? There's the basic security stuff, like not having that public S3 bucket or not having that public Elasticsearch server, you know, making sure your data is under control and making sure there's access controls right around that, like, you know, SSH, SSH keys and, and things like that. Not everyone's using the same root login, for example. But there's also, in the, in the specific case of GDPR, there's also data retention rules that you want to pay attention to. Like you, you need to specify like how long we hang on to data and what data we hang on to, right? So if you're building an app and you know you're going to be tracking social security numbers, for example, well, you, you know there's going to be some extra scrutiny around that. Like I need to encrypt that data somehow, right? As opposed to just storing it plain text, whereas I could just store a name, maybe plain text. And then also like deleted data. How long do we hang on to that? And then, you know, in the case of GDPR, we can have requests request for data, right? Someone can say, you know, give me all the data that you have on me. And so you have to be able to track that data that you have. So basically, you know, when you're building your app, you need to say, well, what data am I taking in? What types of data is it? And then how do I know what I have and for how long I have it? One kind of interesting thing about GDPR, I think, was it also has this like this sort of aspect of consent to it where you know, you have to get people's consent in order to track certain data about them. And that poses front-end challenges too, because you have to sort of figure out a way to get people to opt in. So how do we go about um, doing that? Like, did I think I remember you doing a lot of stuff on that, Josh. Do Not Track was, uh, was something, I guess, I don't know if it plays into the um, like GDPR specifically, but it's a uh, internet standard that basically it's a browser feature that sets a header if you if you enable this like it says it's basically like if you go in your browser settings and say i don't want people to track me what that does is it sends a, a header to each website that you visit and if that website happens to comply with do not track then they will like disable any like google analytics or tracking code that they use at least they're supposed to okay but with the gdpr like how do we inform people of this stuff did we just like change our terms of service or so we, we did change our terms of service to include information about more details about what we collected. So fortunately, we're not like a marketing company, right? So we don't, we don't track a bunch of personal info and then send it out to a bunch of people. But we basically had to write in the text that we, yes, we do not do that sort of thing. And, and then we're not collecting, at least from, as a first party, we're not collecting from our customers very sensitive data like HR data or social security numbers and stuff like that. So we, we made that clear. 
so we don't we didn't really have a lot to do in that regard because we're not redistributing data for marketing purposes or or really much at all you know besides our limited list of vendors that handle things like email and um, data storage things like that and i think we've we've been trying to go the other direction of like intentionally not using services that would require us to like get extra permission or extra you know do extra dis- disclosure so even if you if you have the option when you're building an app in the first place it's i think it's it's better to like opt for using more like I guess in the way that you store, if you're handling user data, just like if you can build your app to like just handle as little user data as possible, like opt for like as min- the minimum amount that um, you need, that seems to be like a good way to set yourself up for being more compliant, maybe. Yeah. And it's like, I, I wonder, it seems like it, this really kind of encourages vendor lock in a bit because like once you get permission to send data to one vendor, it's like, Oh, like I would change, but now we've got to like get everybody to opt into this other vendor. Yeah. So. And, and there is two ways that I've seen people handling that because you do, as part of the, as part of the GDPR, you can provide this data processing addendum to your terms of service, a DPA that specifies exactly what kind of data you handle and, and what do you do with it and, and who do you send it to. And so in there, we list out people that we send it to like intercom and like AWS, for example. Uh, and Google Analytics. Yeah, every time you add a vendor, you've got to go and update that agreement, right? And you have people, this is a signed agreement. And so you've got however many customers who have signed it. And so now you have to go back to those customers and say, oh, you know, here's a new vendor that we've added, started sending data to. And so I've seen two ways that people have handled that. Like our vendors have handled that sort of thing for us. They either will send an updated list like, oh, we're amending the addendum. And here's our new list of vendors to whom we're sending data. Or I think MailChimp does it this way. They send out an email saying, we've updated our list. Please come back to our website to check out the new list, right? So kind of like we used to do in the olden days with, you know, our terms of service have been updated and you know, a lot of companies mm-hmm. still do that and you never click on the link. But, uh, but yeah, you, you do have to have some way of tracking who has signed the agreement so that you can then send them the updates when that agreement, the list of vendors changes. Yeah, it's kind of annoying, but... Weren't the terms of service emails a compliant due to some comp- regulation too? Like back, I, I just remember like, I didn't used to get any of them. And then all of a sudden I started getting like everyone I ever used in the world started sending me like, we updated our terms of service. So I assumed it must have been some you know, legislation that was passed. Yeah, I vaguely remember that, but I, I don't, can't remember the details. But yeah, I remember, had that same experience. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember. It might, I want to say it was part of GDPR, but it might have been a little, it might have been further back. So that's, you know, been, been put to bed pretty much. I think we're, you know, we're just doing the usual stuff that we have to do. We expire data as we agreed to, and uh, we keep that vendor list updated and stuff like that. But what's come up a little more recently for us is uh, SOC 2. So we've had um, more and more customers contacting us asking for our SOC 2 report. I really didn't know what that was about. So I had to do a lot of research into what that means. And it's been an interesting experience. And uh, I, th- I think we're, we're about to embark on, a, on an endeavor to, to, come a, to come into compliance with that as well. So what does it mean? What is a SOC 2 report? So a SOC 2 report is basically an attestation that you follow certain best practices and handling. Uh, there's, there's five different areas that you can cover. There's security, uh, availability, privacy, confidentiality, and processing integrity. And so each of these five areas have criteria that say, are, are you 
following best practices in this area. So for example, like in the security, you need to know when there are attacks on your servers. You need intrusion detection, right? You need to know if any files have been changed. Or you might require your employees to use two-factor authentication whenever handling customer data. And there's like a laundry list of, of things that you need to be pay attention to in each of these areas. And a SOC 2 report is, is a report that says, yep, we're doing X, Y, and Z to cover you know, these particular concerns. And, uh, and then an external auditor comes in and looks at the systems that you've implemented to counteract these risks and says, yep, this company is doing those things. So that's, a, that's what that report is. There's actually two types. There's a type one report and a type two report. And a type one is just like the initial, like the, the accountant comes in or the auditing firm comes in and says, yeah, these are the things that they say they're doing and I can see they're doing them. And we feel that these things that they're doing are sufficient to handle, control the risks. Uh, then a type two report is actually over time. So they'll come back in a year or six months or whatever and say, having evaluated this company and these controls, these controls are in place and they've been monitoring them for this amount of time. And we feel that this monitoring assures that they are following what they said they were going to follow. And there's your, there's your attestation. It's kind of an evolved process, involved process, not just because of the, the things you have to have in place, but also because then you have to monitor and show that you're monitoring and then have this audit where you have these third parties coming in and, and checking your work, basically. If I just like run my app in a, uh, say, a data center that is SOC 2 compliant, and so you know they, they have a certification, I can basically just... That means I'm SOC 2 compliant, right? Like I can just... Uh, well... Maybe partially. I mean, yeah, I think some people might say, oh, look, I'm SOC 2 compliant because, you know, I use Google Cloud and they are. So I am. Well, I mean, I could just put that on my security page. Yeah, you could try it. That. Sounds like it sounds like y'all are bitter about something. <laughs> yeah, let's put that on our security page. Let's say that we're compliant because so, AWS is compliant. You can say we do use AWS. And yes, they are obviously SOC 2 compliant. And so we our data center is covered, right? That part of the compliance, boom, you're done, right? But I mean, you could use AWS in a very insecure way, right? You could have that Elasticsearch instance running in AWS that's wide open to the public. And so that's obviously insecure, right? So yeah, it's not just a just add water kind of Well, thing. I know, but we can say we can say we are compliant asterisk straight right there. <laughs> I mean, that's I mean, like that'll solve the problem, right? Boom. Yeah. Problem solved. Yep. Yeah. You just saved me months of work. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go add that to our website right now. We are compliant that's, asterisk. That's what I do. We've learned that um, in, uh, in researching this, that, that some people do, that kind of is like their version of compliance. And uh, it's kind of, it's interesting because the whole compliance thing seems to be like very hand wavy to like, no one really knows exactly what it is, especially at the smaller level. Like maybe the, you know, the, the large companies who have to be like, you know, they have like government oversight ensuring that they're, they are compliant and they have like lots and lots of money to pay like compliance departments and outside auditors to come in and make sure that they're checking all these boxes for everyone else. It's like, you know, you, you might check some of the boxes and then just hope for the best. Yeah. Wait, so are we doing things in the hand wavy way or are we doing things in the correct ethical I way? I think we're trying, we're trying to do things in the ethical way, but we're finding, we're realizing why everyone else seems to not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what we've done so far, I mean, we, we have had requests for a sock. SOC 2 report, and we don't have one because we haven't gone through that full process yet. But the way that I've responded to that kind of request has been to say, you know, we're following the principles, security best practices, 
And, and these are the things that we do. And here's our information security policy. And you know, here's the, the things that we've implemented. I think that's the most upfront and straightforward way that we can be to say, no, we don't have that report. But you know, these are the things that we're doing that goes along with the desire that you'd have to have someone have this report, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's fair. I think it's fair to say, yeah, we follow the principles outlined in such and such, you know, security framework, but we don't have an auditor who checked that off yet. Yeah, that's that's totally cool. No, that's long, you know, yeah, and that's that's the approach that we take so far. Well, that's, I mean, that's not like saying we're SOC two compliant asterisk though. That's <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, uh, yeah. The yeah. difference is that you're not like advertising it as a core part of your uh, benefits. Yeah, your platform. Right. <laughs> yeah. A lot of marketers in startup land, I think, feel like they can say anything and it doesn't matter. I think you got to be careful when it comes to this kind of stuff because that can get you in some pretty hot water. There's also like this third path, which we haven't talked about yet, which is, and we've had this happen to us, Honey Badger, where a, one of our customers comes to us and instead of asking for a SOC 2 report or instead of just like, oh, tell us what you do, they come at us with a third party vendor and, and they have this like security questionnaire. You might think, oh, a questionnaire, no big deal. But it's like 40 pages of questions. And each of those pages has like 40 questions on them. And so you're talking about like days worth of work to fill this out. But basically it's... For like a $40 a month account. Exactly. Yeah. Basically, these questionnaires are like, they, they have all of these same security and you know, privacy criteria as these compliance frameworks have. And then they just ask you specifically, yes, no, are you doing this? And if not, why not? Right. And so there's like a gazillion questions to go through. And so, I mean, that's one option. You could also say, well, we're not compliant, but we'll fill out this survey for you or this questionnaire. And that's one of the benefits, I think, from going through the whole compliance work is that you can say, oh, here's our report. Yeah. You just save yourself like, you know, three days of work of filling out this questionnaire. Right? Mm-hmm. It's this commonly agreed to like, oh, if you, if you have this report, then I know you're doing all these things that I care about from a security perspective. Makes sense. I really wonder what would happen if you took that questionnaire and just filled it out in the most like the most negative way possible and just it's like, no, we don't do that security thing. Yes, we give your data to everybody. We don't have passwords. And then just see what happens. Like, do they just want do they just want to report somewhere? That is the interesting part about the whole compliance. Does anyone read it is is what you're asking? Yeah. Well, (laughs) it really is about, you know, there here are these risks that we care about like data loss or, or better breach or whatever. And then what are the controls that you have in place to handle those things? And, and you can say, we don't do anything, right? We have all of our stuff out there. And it's you know, wide open, blah, blah, blah. And as long as you sign your name to what you actually do, you're, you're done right now. Someone might, your customer might say, well, that's not good enough for me. I'm going to go someplace else. But yeah, I mean, you can totally answer those questionnaires with like all no's <laughs> if that's the case for you. Well, it might be worth a shot. I'm just saying. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> if you cheaper. If you weren't going to fill it out anyway. It's, just, it's yeah, it's cheaper because you could just, you know, you can easily outsource answering those questions. <laughs> so we did have one example of a customer who came to us and wanted a custom agreement. They're paying us enough money to make it, you know, make us consider that. And uh, they, they came to us with this list of requirements. And basically it was, you know, the SOC 2 kind of stuff. And I said, okay, well, so we don't do all the things yet that, you might ask for in these, these five different areas of SOC 2, and we're working on that. And so I couldn't like, agree to all the things they had listed. They had this like, appendix to the agreement. Like, it's multiple pages long. Here's all the things that you need to do. And uh, I couldn't say yes to some of those things right off the bat. And, so I, and, and some things take some time to actually implement. And so I said, well, we don't have those things in place. This is what we do have in place. And, they, and I said, so we can't agree to all these things in this appendix. And so they came back and said, oh, 
all right, we'll strike that and we'll come up with other other ways to control for those risks, right? So on, on their end, they had to make some, you know, some control statements of their own saying, well, we have this vendor who, you know, doesn't certify that they do X, Y, and Z, but we have these other controls in place to handle that, to mitigate that risk, right? So that's really interesting yeah. because a lot of times I always assume that things are non-negotiable and it's just like, well, that's it. Sorry. See you later. But I mean, the world usually isn't like that, especially if like you're to the level where people are emailing you forms to fill out like personally, and they're going to have lawyers look over them. Like there's often room for a little back and forth. I didn't think of that either. It sounds like a lot of this is really just about shifting risk around. And, and, really and by yeah. default, you want, you want to give as much risk as you can to your vendors. And if you know, maybe some of them push back, they catch the risk and toss it back over the wall in some cases, if they're smart. It's been a good experience for us to start to go through this process. I mean, I've been researching this for a while now, and I've started doing some things. For example, part of the compliance stuff is that you have to monitor, right? It's fine for you to say, yes, we're secure, but okay, how can you assure that you're secure? And uh, one of the ways that is baked into these frameworks is monitoring. Like they might say, okay, you need to encrypt your data. Okay, so that's a requirement. Um, now, you say that you're, equip- you're encrypting your data. How, how do we know you're encrypting your data? What are the monitoring tools that you have in place that say you're encrypting your data? And so I started looking at those monitoring tools and we started using them some in the past few months. The one, for example, that I, I really think is really cool is uh, Collide. It's K-O-L-I-D-E. And yeah, it's, it's really slick because it's built into Slack. And what you do is you, you sign up with Collide and you install this agent on your, your Mac or your Linux box, or your Windows box, and it reports back to them a variety of security checks. One of them being, is your hard drive encrypted? Because they can look at the OS level settings and they can see where that's the case, right? And so it sends that back to Collide. And, and if not, uh, if that's a, a problem in your particular environment with one of your machines, it then sends a message to Slack saying, oh, you know, Ben's computer doesn't have this hard drive encryption turned on. You need to fix that. And so that's that's one of the tools that we're using to help with this monitoring aspect. And the thing I love about that is like, it's actually useful. So, you know, sometimes you can say, oh, this compliance stuff is just a bunch of, you know, lawyers and accountants and stuff. But, but that, that's actually helpful, right? To say, oh, I didn't know I had one of my teammates using an unencrypted hard drive, like we should fix that. Right. So I think that's, that's, that's a good thing. And a lot of the checks that it does are pretty granular. So like the hard drive is, a, is obviously like a, a big one, but there's a lot of like smaller, you know, OS settings and best, best practices related to your specific operating system that you might not know all of them and, and they will tell you. Yeah. Another thing that we started using recently was Bitdefender antivirus. And, you know, I've always been in the opinion, like, you know, I run a Mac. I mean, give me a break, right? Uh, I don't run antivirus on my Mac. But, you know, it's one of these things like you have to have if you want to check that box on the compliance thing. So we started using that. And that's really cool because, again, it has the same kind of, it's monitoring a whole team's worth of stuff. And it's like, oh, you know, Josh's virus definitions are out of date. It's like, oh, Josh, you need to go update that, right? And it's just, I guess, a common Yeah. And before, like, you had to email me to remind me to update my virus definitions. <laughs> <laughs> well, more likely, like I didn't even think about it, right? right. So nothing happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So having those tools in place really makes it a lot easier. I appreciate that. Yeah, pretty soon we'll be uh, we'll be having uh, you know weekly meetings to like with printouts of our our uh, Bitdefender and uh, Collide results for the week. We can get together and kind of like share results and yeah. 
Can we um, can we have some TPS reports? Ooh, yeah. To cut down on the meetings, we can probably like create some forms to fill out just so we can, you know, fill out the forms and pass them in to, to Ben, you know, central management. <laughs> there we go. We'll, we'll get Ben one of those like giant rubber stamps that says like <laughs> denied. Nice. So you can send it back. <laughs> well, that was a whirlwind tour. Is there anything else we'd like to add about compliance before we um, head out into the sunset? Well, you know, one thing we haven't talked about yet is cost. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people would be interested in, in hearing that about that. Oh, yeah, uh, let's do that. It can be costly. Like our, our GDPR compliance costs us, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars. Uh, legal was most, of that, was most of that cost. SOC 2 is going to be at least as much, probably not as much in legal, but in time, because there are a lot of systems you have to put in place. And all that monitoring, I mean, takes time to set that up and to keep on top of it. Like you have to... For a SOC 2 type 2 report, you have to be able to, to show evidence that, hey, yes, we've been monitoring and this is, these are the systems we have in place to show that we're monitoring. Yeah. Well, even with GDPR too, like time was a big factor. I remember you spent a lot of time on GDPR. So if we factored that in, it was probably a lot more than, than that even. Now, the good news for small startups like us is that SOC 2 is only, will only take you like a few months <laughs> versus like a year or more with, with a larger, larger organization. But it's still like a couple months, really. And then there's the whole question of the, the actual audit, right? Because SOC 2 is it's a financial-based compliance regime. So it's, it's done by CPAs, CPA firms, accounting firms. And the audits can actually only be performed by licensed TPAs. So you're, you're paying these accounting firms to do that audit for you. And tens of thousands of dollars is not an unreasonable amount based on my research, to expect to pay for one of these audits. So Yeah, every year. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of hard to swallow for a small startup. Every, every uh, year is a big, a big one. Yeah. Remember. Yeah. So I'm still researching that and hoping maybe I'll find the, the fly-by-night bargain basement CPA that will do it for cheaper. But uh, uh, yeah, I'll keep you posted on that. Yeah, do, do, we want, do we want a bargain basement CPA, though? I, just, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> we need the, uh, the Saul Goodman of CPAs. <laughs> I hear a lot of people from Arthur Anderson are still looking for work. So. <laughs> and finally, I think uh, one thing to mention that there are a lot of consultants out there who are happy to help you for really obscene amounts of money. I've talked with a number of them and I found a, a, local, a local person actually here in Seattle who is not going to charge us an obscene amount of money, but will help us get started and do a gap analysis to, to find out you know, wh- what are we doing today versus what we need to uh, get to before we could do an audit. And uh, so it, you have to maybe look under some rocks to find those people that can help you for reasonable amounts of money, but, but they're out there. You just missed a golden opportunity to bootstrap your uh, compliant, your SOC 2 consulting business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ask me again in a year, so maybe. There, there are consultants yeah. who, who will charge obscene amounts of money. And by the way, I'm one of them. <laughs> Ben's consultants only charge a slightly obscene amount of money. Right. Right. It's just risque. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think that does it. Uh, you know, we'll have to check back with me in a few months to see how we're doing. But uh, oh, we can do a follow up as- episode. That'll be great. And you'll just you'll have you'll, all your hair will be gray. <laughs> <laughs> you'll just have a ten thousand foot stare in your right. eyes. My pockets will be empty. Yeah. Before we get going, I wanted to mention that uh, we are still looking for writers for Honey Badger blog. We've had a good response to our initial call but you know we're like continually bringing in writers so go check out 
are posting on that at honeybadger.io slash blog slash, right? I don't remember the URL. Just go to the blog and there's a link in the header. That's, yeah. I don't know why I was going to tell you the URL. That's the first test. Can you actually find our post? Yeah, that's a good first test. So yeah, and then just there's instruction there for for like how to email me and I'm super nice. And yeah, and if you like this podcast, go to wherever you review things and review it, please. And thanks. So... (laughs) I'm only like 10 credit hours away from my certificate in professional broadcasting. Another hour down. Boom. All right. There we go. (laughs) Well, I'll I'll see you all next week, guys. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. ThunderQuest is a weekly podcast by the founders of Honey Badger. Zero instrumentation, 360-degree coverage of errors, outages, and service degradations for your web apps. If you have a web app, you need it. Available at honeybadger.io. Want more from the founders? Go to founderquestpodcast.com. That's one word. You can access our huge back catalog or sign up for our newsletter to get exclusive VIP content. FounderQuest is available on iTunes, Spotify, and other purveyors of fine podcasts. We'll see you next week.